So Money episode 1215, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everybody. Welcome back. It's Friday. Ask Farnoosh. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It is Juneteenth, officially a federal holiday. And, you know, remember at this time in 2020, we were doing a whole month on Black Wealth Matters. And if you want to listen to that again, or if you're learning about this for the first time, I do have an album dedicated to the, I believe it was 10 or 12 episodes that we did in June in 2020. It's called Black Wealth Matters. You can look for it in the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts. It's there. Just uh, type in Black Wealth Matters or type in Farnoosh Tarabi. It will usually pop up right away. You'll hear from Queen Latifah, Tiffany Aliche, Rachel Rogers, Minda Hartz, some amazing leading Black visionaries, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, authors, all about how they think about money, developed their wealth, the struggles they still face. I'm very proud of the series. And of course, if you have more guests in mind that you'd like to see appear on this podcast that are people of color, people from diverse backgrounds, always the doors open. Let me know. Let me know on Instagram. Let me know on Twitter. You can email me for newshitsomoneypodcast.com. Please let me know. You've sent in some really good questions this week, I gotta say. We've got our friend Anna in the audience who wants to know how to ask for a raise when she's heard that a colleague is making more than she is. Magdalena is looking to get investors for her business. Where does she look? How does she reach out? Lucy is looking to buy a house, but not sure how to calculate for home maintenance costs. Hannah, should I buy an investment course or is it a waste of money? This is good stuff, everybody. Can't wait to dive in. But first, let's review the week and spot Spotlight some of the guests that we had on this week. On Monday, we talked about the ambition penalty with my guest, Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. She recently wrote about this for Bloomberg, and it is essentially her thesis, which I got to agree with, that women face an ambition penalty, this social, professional, and financial cost when they ask for more money, when they display ambition in their careers, in their financial lives, and we got into it. I mean, it, I even cursed at one point because this is quite enraging, especially if you've experienced it. So check out Stephanie's episode on Monday if you're interested to learn about the ambition penalty, but also how to navigate your professional and financial life, given that there may be this cost that you uh, may face down the road for showing your ambition as a woman. On Tuesday, we had a bonus episode in partnership with the Allstate Foundation talking about financial abuse, understanding it, knowing the signs, and importantly, how to break free from being a victim in a relationship where you are being abused particularly financially abused. 96% of domestic violence victims experience financial abuse. And we had on the show one very brave survivor, Mercy Thomas, who recently left her abusive partner in the pandemic, a man that, a doctor, in fact, who made her financially and geographically reliant on him. They weren't even in the relationship for very long. And this all came to a head 
in the pandemic, and she was so brave to leave. And we are so grateful for her coming on the show. The episode may be triggering just as a precaution. Of course, if you need help or you know someone who does, you can check out allstatefoundation.org. You can also reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 1-800-799-SAFE. On Wednesday, we invited my friend Adam Ariama back on the show. He's the editor-in-chief of Next Advisor in celebration of Pride Month, talking about LGBTQ plus financial rights, a history of that. And he also shares insights from his interview with Susie Orman on how being gay has been the foundation to her success. Check that out. That was Wednesday's episode. All right. Before we hit the mailbag, let's go to the iTunes review section and pick our viewer of the week. This week, our winner is Sophie Wed Design. June 8th left review saying she is so obsessed with the show. I've been listening to the show for a few years now and I recommend it to everyone. I'm obsessed. As a self-employed new mom with a difficult money story growing up, I often feel paralyzed about all of my financial goals and choices, but implementing new financial strategies and taking baby steps as I become more literate is so rewarding. Thanks, Farnoosh, for taking the overwhelm and icky out of financial advice. I try. I really do. And I would love to connect with you, Sophie, for a free 15-minute money session. You can email me, Farnoosh, at somoneypodcast.com. You can also hit me up on Instagram, direct message me there. Let me know you left this review and I will shoot back a link for you to select a time for us to meet for 15 minutes and we can talk about whatever you want. And by the way, last week I mentioned that I had a great conversation with a listener, a listener who left a review, and we got to talking about her daughter who was preparing for college or looking for colleges to apply to and how she had gotten access entry into a program that was going to allow her to, while finishing high school, achieve an associate's degree, actually take courses at a local college that could be used towards an associate's degree. So that means when she goes to college to get the bachelor's, she's already she's already ahead of the timeline. She's two years ahead. And of course, that's going to mean a lot of savings for her. And in response to that, another listener wrote to me, Marcy, and I want to share this with everybody because I think it's important. We got to share all this good knowledge. She said that she was aware of this. She is familiar with these types of programs. It's a thing. And I mean, I don't guess I don't have college age children, so I'm not in this world. But if you are approaching that and you want to learn how to save, this is an interesting avenue. If you've got a child who would be interested in this. Anyhow, Marcy brought to my attention this program. I want to share it with you called Bard High School Early College Program. It's in New York and all over the country. Uh, the website is B as in Bard, H hsec.bard.edu, Bard like the college. Uh, it's a public high school where the first two years you complete high school and the second two years you complete your associate's degree all for free. And I hope this is more of what we're going to see in the future. And we know Biden just canceled $500 million in student debt for victims of for-profit school fraud. I hope that initiative expands to help more borrowers saddled with debt. But we also have to address this issue before we even get to that point of borrowing, right? How can we make college more affordable? That process. And it's encouraging to see programs like this. And hopefully they will inspire more avenues, alternative avenues for students who want to get a higher education education and deserve it. And the, the idea of going to college, paying all this money is just is just not feasible. So Marcy, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I tell you, these Friday shows, are, they're entirely produced by the audience. So thank you, audience, for 
helping me out, especially on a Friday. All right, let's help out some listeners. Anna writes in and says, hey, Farnoosh, big fan and listener. I am in the millennial generation and I did a career pivot last year. I'm still using my science background, but I have gone into inside sales. I should have negotiated a higher initial salary, but compared to my last job, it was a significant raise. Recently, I learned a coworker who has 10 years of sales experience over me doing the same job is expected to sell less because of his territory area, but is making 30 thousand dollars more than me. He said he didn't even negotiate his salary. I'll be taking on more because I've expressed my interest to grow with my boss. How do I ask for a raise along with it? I doubt they would give me a $30,000 raise. I would want 40%, but my friend said to realistically ask for 25% and then probably get 15 to 20%. Do you have any suggestions on when and how to approach this? You've empowered me greatly these past few years, and I wouldn't be where I am without you. Anna, thank you. It's so nice to feel like I've been with you on this journey. And we've only just met. I've only met you, but I'm really honored to know that you've been in the audience and been taking notes all these years. And congratulations on this new job. So you're asking about when and how to approach this. I'm going to answer the when part first. You told me you did this career pivot last year. So you've been in the job for about a year, but of course it was during the pandemic. Now, the when of this is a little bit more straightforward as to when to ask. You may feel best to approach when you have achieved some great milestones. If you have hit your sales targets early or even on time, but you've got momentum going and you're on a positive streak and your boss may or may not have noticed this, but now you need to bring it to her attention or his attention. And as a follow-up, talk about making more money. Now, what we talked about during the pandemic and the recession, and I don't know how your company's doing financially, health-wise, but if your company is not doing so hot, then it's hard to ask for a raise right now, right? Even though we are emerging from the pandemic, we are not in the same job loss situation as we were this time last year, but it's still a murky time for some businesses. So you have to really know your company and know if it is appropriate to ask for more. If you're seeing your company contract or lay people off or close divisions or not proceed with certain investment initiatives, well, those are all telltale signs that maybe now is not a quote unquote appropriate time to ask for more. But if your company has been growing, then by all means, with momentum, with your sales goals being achieved, I think that it's fine to ask for more. The fact that you're in sales gives you an advantage because your job is so clearly adding to the bottom line of the company, right? You bring in sales, that adds directly to the company's bottom line, as opposed to somebody who might work in like HR or another department where their job certainly adds to the bottom line of the company, but it's not so direct. It's not so clearly laid out. You can go to your boss and say, I brought in this many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of client business or sales for us in just this quarter or just this year. And I, my salary is, you know, a fraction of that. And I believe that given that I was initially expected to only hit this target and I exceeded it by 15, 20, 50%, you get where I'm going, right? That I I feel as though 
I'm high value to the company and I would like to be compensated for that. And I've done some research. I've, you can even say I've done some research externally and internally without naming names. <laughs> and I believe that this is what I should earn. And ask for what you want plus 10 or 20% more. That's always been my rule of thumb because if you just ask for 40% and that's what you want, you're probably going to get more like 20% of a pay raise. You're going to get less because you have to expect a negotiation. But the how of this is you really show the financial contribution that you're making, how it is perhaps exceeding expectations, comparing that to your salary, and then mentioning that you've done research internally and externally to see how your salary measures up. Your boss may not give you an answer right away. He or she may need to go ask his or her boss, which again is why it is so important for you to lay it all out very simply and straightforwardly, leaning on the numbers, really. Make it less about your feelings and more about the facts. And don't throw your colleagues under the bus, but you can say you've done research internally and externally, and you've come to the conclusion that your salary should really be at this level. Good luck to you. And props to your colleague for being transparent about what he earns. We need more of that in the workplace. Uh, I know it's weird sometimes to talk about money with your colleagues, with your peers, but this is how we can really be allies with our colleagues, especially if there are colleagues at work that historically have been paid less for no other reason than the fact that they are a woman or a person of color. So really important to advocate for your colleagues in the workplace. And it starts with transparency. Good luck, Anna. Next up is Magdalena, how to get investors for her business. Magdalena says that she started listening to So Money earlier this year. She's now a frequent listener, always looking forward to the episodes. Magdalena is a co-owner of a woman-led business. They are developing a software that uses blockchain that will change ultimately how our educational infrastructure runs. She asks any advice on how to get investors for my business. I feel like I know what I'm doing, but sometimes the dream feels a little too big. Well, Magdalena, you have a lot going for you. Women-led business, you're working in blockchain, technology, and education, these amazing intersections. There is building momentum right now for women getting funding. If this is the path that you want, because you know this is a scalable business, that you're going to be able to take an investor's $10 and turn it into $100,000, I would encourage you to look at places like iFundWomen, it's run by Karen Kahn. This is a organization that supports female-led entrepreneurs, find funding, raise funds. I would encourage you to also look at incubators. I don't know them specifically, but I know there are many programs where they are looking for applicants Businesses that fit your profile, you know, women-led in technology to come and pitch to their board and they provide you if you get selected with resources and funding and mentorship. I know many female entrepreneurs that have gone through programs like these. Sometimes they're funded by banks. Sometimes they're funded by independently wealthy people. But I'm sure you've done a lot of this research. It sounds like the barrier really for you is not the knowledge of what's out there and available and the investors that may potentially be interested in investing in you, it's making that pitch, putting yourself out there, believing in yourself. Listen, if you don't believe in yourself or if you think the stream is too big, how is an investor supposed to believe in it? You have to get really good and solid with your idea, your vision, your plan, and pitch that 
like there's no tomorrow. My friend Hitha Palapu, who's going to be on the show soon, she is also an angel investor. And some of the companies that she's invested in, those founders hit her up in the DMs on Instagram because that's where she hangs out. So finding out where these potential investors hang out, if it's if email's better, if LinkedIn's better, if Instagram is better, get on their radar. Let them know how passionate you are about your business. Angel investors, more than they invest in a business because of the business plan, they invest in the founders. They believe in the people behind the businesses. So you got to believe in yourself to get someone else to believe in you. And I know that's not maybe the advice you were looking to get from me, but from what I sense in your question, it sounds like there may be a bit of imposter syndrome at play here, or you're feeling that it's inappropriate to hit up people directly and ask for money. That's how people are getting money. They're knocking on doors and they are pitching hard and they're doing it multiple times. So believe in the dream, believe in the big dream and get others to get on board. The money is out there. You know, that's the good news. The money is out there and there's a lot of money out there. And if you want a piece of that, it's up to you to go get it. No one's going to come find you. Magdalena, I wish you all of the best. I hope this is successful for you. Lucy, how to calculate for home maintenance costs. Lucy's a huge fan of the podcast. She's been listening for the last two years and she and her husband are hoping to buy a home soon in the next couple of years. We have a great start on a down payment, she says. We have a six month emergency fund, but in thinking about how much house we can afford, we just don't know how to calculate for maintenance costs and utilities. All right, so Lucy, the general rule of thumb is that that you want to set aside around, I'd say, 1% to 3% of the value of your home every year towards maintenance costs. Now, this also depends on the home that you buy. If you buy a brand new home, presumably fewer maintenance costs in the beginning than, say, an older home. And another way to figure out what the maintenance costs are going to be, what the utilities are going to be, is to ask the previous owner. Or when you're talking to a real estate agent in a particular neighborhood, they should know this sort of stuff, especially if they live in that town. We did this with our own agent moving to New Jersey. I wanted to know, like, what was the electric bill going to be in this house? What was the gas bill like? What's the heat bill like? And we got that from the previous owner. That's why you also get the home inspected before you move in, right? You want to get someone to come and survey the home. How old is the roof? Does it need to get changed in the next one to five years? Do you need to put in new air conditioners or a central air system? How old are the appliances? Always good to ask these questions or get an inspector to get you these answers before moving in just so that you have a sense of what your upfront maintenance costs are going to be. You got to always plan for the unexpected, but you can always ask for what is average month to month from the previous owner. All right, last two questions. First up, Hannah, whether or not to buy an investment course. This is a really important question because I see many investment courses being advertised online. She asks, what is your opinion on paying for an online course designed to teach you how to invest in the market? A little background on me. I'm considering entering the investment market on my own, but not sure where to start regarding assessing stocks, building an investment strategy, 
and I have found an online investing course that is designed to teach me what I need to know from getting started to addressing and building my investments over time, but the price is about $2,000. It seems like a steep investment to make up front before even entering the market, so I'm really hesitant, but also I like the idea of learning from an expert first before jumping in on my own. Any initial thoughts on these types of courses overall and if they're worth it? Proceed with caution. There are some good courses out there and there are some terrible courses. I have heard some horror stories of people who have paid more than $2,000, $30,000 for what they think is going to be this certificate that's going to just teach them all the ins and outs of investing and allow them to build wealth. And it was a scam for all intents and purposes. And later, you know, this particular program that I'm thinking of, uh, my friend who actually got caught up in it, they got penalized by the SEC. So not to scare you, Hannah, I think that there are some really robust, interesting education first programs out there that can help to give you the basics and then some of how to invest. Before we get to investing, if you've been listening to the show long enough, you know that my advice when it comes to investing is to take advantage of the vehicles that can help you invest relatively easily and with not needing a lot of education, right? So if you've got a 401k at work where you can automatically contribute from your paycheck, where the contributions are tax deductible, it automatically goes into a portfolio that's diversified and balanced, boom, sign up, you're investing. Beyond that, there are individual retirement accounts. You can virtually do the same thing on your own with a bank, a brokerage, a credit union even where they offer traditional or Roth IRAs, automatically set up a system where you're contributing from your checking account or your savings account into a portfolio. Again, usually they have software that can automatically create a beautiful diversified portfolio for you, taking into account your risk tolerance, your timeline, your goals, all of that. Again, automatic. You don't need to be a genius. You don't need to spend $2,000 to figure this out. It's done for you. And there are also platforms like Elevest and Wealthfront and Charles Schwab and Fidelity. They have these portfolios that they can set up for you, these smart portfolios that are algorithm-based, data-driven, intelligent, taking into account, again, all of your profile factors to invest for you. And the 401k obviously is for retirement. And so are IRAs for the most part. But you can also open up a plain brokerage account, right? Somewhere where I just mentioned all these platforms to invest for a different goal, you know, a goal that's 10 years from now or 15 years from now. So I just want to say first that before you go into this idea of picking your stocks, which by the way, historically does not get you better returns than just letting the computer do it for you. Take advantage of these other avenues that are easy, that anyone, regardless of their level of education when it comes to investing, can opt into and be successful with. Start there. Now, if on top of that, you have a general sort of personal hobby interest in investing beyond that, you wanna build additional wealth because you've done all this other stuff and you really wanna participate as an active investor, then when you're deciding on these courses, I think the questions you want to ask these instructors and these programs is, what kind of outcomes can I expect from this program? And I would be hesitant to enroll in a program that 
says, we're going to help you get rich. We're going to help you make money. We're going to teach you the secrets to investing in stocks because there are no secrets. Nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> like Everyone's just kind of throwing darts, frankly. I mean, certainly there are ways to evaluate companies and stocks that does require research and an understanding of the market. No disrespect to people who work in this field, but don't sell me on this big promise and this falsehood, right, that I'm going to be able to outperform the market with these tricks. Just be mindful of the hype. That for me would be a red flag. Instead, I would really be curious to learn more about a program that says things like, we're going to educate you on how the market works. At the end of this program, you're going to be able to analyze a stock. You're going to be able to create a portfolio for yourself that is aligned with your values. We also acknowledge there's risk in this too, right? We're not guaranteeing results. Uh, $2,000 is a lot of money, um, but if you're approaching this more as a educational play as opposed to a transactional play, like I'm going to take this course and get rich, as opposed to I'm going to take this course and learn and take the best and apply it into my life, but I'm going to do it thoughtfully and I'm going to do it with the understanding that this is not necessarily the best way to build wealth for the long run. If you ask me, it's things like the 401k and the IRAs and leaning on the technology and the software and the platforms to help you invest. If you want to start picking stocks on top of all the other stuff that you've already done, like the 401k and the IRA, Great, but you have to assume the risk and talk to previous students. Do a Google search, an online search about this program. What are people saying? Talk to as many people as possible. In the meantime, sign up for your 401k if you haven't already. Okay, last question is an anonymous listener who has a twin sister who is a single mom with two kids, ages six and eight. Her sister struggles with bills, especially with the kids being out of school for COVID this year and working her schedules around that in a low paying job. I work in healthcare myself and around my schedule in the ER, help out five days a week with childcare for her and often pay for the kids' necessities like shoes and pictures. Do you have any advice on setting financial boundaries on helping families? I find it difficult when it's for the children, but I also want to protect my own family, which is just me and my husband. Any advice would be great and much needed for my mental health. Okay. Well, I can't imagine the difficulties that she's experiencing with being a single mom in the pandemic with these young kids. I mean, it's just unfathomable. Um, you're doing her this incredible service, but every family is different, right? Every family circumstance is different. I have some friends who feel it is their obligation to help out families, especially their parents as they're aging, and they dedicate a portion of their income to supporting their family. It's it's just what they believe in at the core. In other cases, it is the sort of thing where like you, a sibling, is kind of brought into a world where you're suddenly supporting a family member and and while you're happy to do it, you need to set boundaries. And those boundaries are for you to decide. You and your husband need to have a conversation about what your goals are as a couple and a family. And within that, 
how can you realistically continue to support your sister, your nieces and nephews? And if it's a number, if it's like $500 a month, or we're just going to help her with, you know, the kids school related things, like figure out what that boundary is. What are those parameters? And then going back to your sister and saying, we were so happy to be able to step in and help you during this crazy time. Going forward, here's what I'm proposing. And you can do this in a loving way. And I think you package this as, you know, my husband and I had a discussion. We have certain goals. Talk about them. We want to have we want to have a family or we want to buy a house or we want to go back to school, whatever. Honesty you know, is really important. Hopefully your sister appreciates and realizes the contributions that you have provided her and her family uh, and know that, you know, you're not cutting her off, but you want to create boundaries. I think that's really healthy and it will probably bring your relationship closer. I know that sounds weird, but when you set boundaries, expectations are set. Everybody knows what to expect. There's no like over-anticipating, under-anticipating, resentment, it's just clear, you know, I if like, for example, you could say we are happy to continue paying for school related expenses that come up for the kids, including things like a tutor, shoes, yearbooks, clothing. Or you can say, I would love to help you with rent. I would love to help you with finding childcare to help you be able to show up more at work. Um, you know, one of the things that in the pandemic I found was so helpful to single moms was helping them find ways to get childcare. That is not simple and it is very expensive. It can be, but it can revolutionize a mother's life in the sense that she can then go and be more present at work and find her groove at work and bring in more money and ultimately be more financially empowered. There are programs that are not as expensive as like hiring a full-time childcare provider. You can work with a local YMCA, work with a local daycare, find someone who might want to work with a few families and do a share. But if you want to help a single mom to source that and then pay for that, just know you're changing her life and you're changing her kids' lives. For your sister, it does sound like childcare would be an incredible resource for her. Is there a way for you to help her? And, you know, bring her into the conversation and say, how can I be most helpful to you given my budget for, for helping you is, you know, $300 a month or $100 a week or whatever it is. Uh, but I think this constitutes a conversation first with your partner about what is realistic, then going back to your sister with honesty and openness having a conversation and then going from there. Sometimes the hardest part is like initiating the conversation, but I hope that your sister will be receptive and and listen to her and see where she feels the greatest need and how you can show up for her there. But you're a great sister, my gosh. Uh, shout out to everybody who was a helper in this pandemic in any small or big way. There weren't many silver linings to this pandemic, but I think it really in some ways showed the best of humanity in these acts of kindness and these generous acts that people made during the pandemic to help each other out directly. And that is our Friday episode, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a big birthday week at our house. Our son turns lucky seven. Yes. And of course, it's Father's Day as well. So it's a very special weekend in our household. Wishing all of you a glorious weekend. See you back here on Monday when our guest is Daisy Dowling. 
author of the new book, Work Parent, How to Manage Money and Working Parenthood at the Same Time. Very timely. Have a great one, everybody. I hope your weekend is so money. 